with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about China's industrial output and retail sales in May beat expectations, but challenges still ahead. And U.S. Federal Reserve announces 75 basis points interest rate hike, the biggest since 1994. And now let's begin with our top story. China's major economic indicators for May improved marginally and beat market expectations. This shows signs of good momentum of recovery and gradual easing of the negative impact from the COVID pandemic. Figures from National Bureau of Statistics show that China's value-added industrial output, an important economic indicator, went up 0.7 percent year-on-year in May. And in the first five months of this year, fixed SA investment. Investment increased 6.2 percent, while retail sales for consumer goods decreased 1.5 percent. So, what are the signals behind these economic figures, and what challenges still remain for China's economy? For more on this, join us on the line now is Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Ina, first of all, China released the major economic indicators for May. It shows the industrial production rose by 0.7 percent. So, how do you read into this figure, and what does it mean for economic growth? Well, I mean, you're measuring the figure against April, which was negative 11.1. So you're seeing、uh, momentum in the right direction.、Mm. And then, so a lot of economic data was released. You know, the fixed asset investment in the first five months of this year jumped by 6.2 percent. So, what are the focal areas of the investment projects this year, and are they implemented smoothly? Uh, most of the projects are in the infrastructure spending,、uh, especially big projects in energy and water.、Uh, a lot of them are concentrated in central and western China.、Uh, there are, of course, some new infrastructure、uh, focusing around、uh, the big data or new energy, but also the traditional ones centering、uh, the railroad, expressways, or even、uh, rural、uh, rural highways or、uh, bridges. So、uh, the implementation of them have so far having a very strong momentum、um, because China has been relying on fiscal expansion this year to bolster growth, and actually it is expected that the speed will pick up again in the second half of the year. Mm. And so, Anna. So, when we talk about China's economy, people are always talking about you know the big cities, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. But、uh, the vast majority of GDP of China is also coming from central and、uh, western area, right? When you start looking at the rest of China, remember, you know, last month people were kind of amazed、uh, that things went so well. Exports went up by double uh, expectations, um, and. You know, it was one of these things where people suddenly said, "Oh, okay, so China is more than just Shanghai and Beijing. That there's a huge, huge area of, of、uh, alternative places where things can be coming out of, and, and that, that showed a lot of strength that people weren't aware of."、Mm-hmm. And so then, so the vast majority of the GDP of China is coming from central and western areas. So, what are their role in China's economy? Do you think? 
China's GDP has about two thirds、uh, in central and western provinces, and the coastal region only account for about one third.、Uh, a lot of the high-end equipment、uh, making or other type of high-end manufacturing are concentrated in east coast,、uh, or energy-intense industries are concentrated in east coast. But the vast majority of China's supply chains and industrial base are actually in inland. Uh, when we look at the latest provincial level data, which、uh, which was from the first quarter,、uh, we can see the trend very clearly.、Um, because in the first quarter, on the east side of China,、uh, industrial value added only、uh, contracted by about six six percent. But central and western China combined saw their industrial value added increasing by fifteen percent on average, and that shows a lot of the regional.、Uh, A disparity、um, between、um, different type of technological uh, um, strength or、uh, development model, and that has become a buffer for China's economy. When we have some regional recessions, other parts can actually step up and cover that loss.、Mm. And we also found that China's exports in May got a 16.9 percent increase from a year ago. So, Aina, what are the, some of the main reasons of it? And will the global demand continue to rise for the rest of year, or what's the trade outlook for China in the rest of the year? Well, this is something you have to be very careful about in describing. What's happening is we're looking at a global recession.、Uh, we'll be talking more about the、uh, 0.75% increase of、uh, Fed rates,、uh, but you know all across the world, people are drawing in. Inflation is really taking a bite out of it. But for China, it is not necessarily a bad thing because when with so much uncertainty,、uh, so much、uh, underutilized capacity, industrial manufacturing capacity in、uh, areas like the U.S. and Europe. And higher costs. Now, all of a sudden, Chinese exports are very,、uh, very, very attractive. They,、uh, China has the installed base.、Uh, you don't have to, in, you know, invest in new equipment or factory things like this. So, China's existing base will continue to be a strong source of everything that is needed throughout the world, even despite the fact that, you know,、uh, overall. Uh, consumption and expenditure in the world will probably be going down, so it still looks very, very good for、uh, China. And what it's one of the reasons that Li Keqiang、uh, was out there saying that you know what we're going to do is we're going to prime the pump by relying on exports. That will create jobs, that will create、uh, disposable income, and that will put us back into this issue of a of a、uh, consumption economy. Mm. And so then, I want to ask you two questions.、Uh, what do you think is the trade outlook for China? And、uh, also, there are also some concern that Vietnam will overtake China's role as the factory of the world, as is a、uh, you know the first quarter export value exceeded that of the city of Shenzhen. So, what do you think? And what's the relationship between China and ASEAN countries in terms of、uh, you know manufacturing in the global supply chain? And I'm not pessimistic about the trade outlook for China. And、um, there can be a recession in U.S. or Europe in the second half of the year, and their demand for China's export would decline. 
Um, but uh, we can still see that China's overall export of consumer goods and industrial uh, intermediate inputs have been at a historical high, although the growth rate has slowed from last year. Um, this has showed a strength in China's role in um, the regional and global supply chain. Uh, and you've mentioned the Vietnam and comparing that to Shenzhen. And that's exactly the point. It can only be compared to Shenzhen. And that's a small fraction of China's whole industrial capacity. And um, if we look at the export coming from Vietnam and comparing that to China, in the past couple of years, Vietnam's export has increased tremendously, but it's still only about one tenth of China's export. So there is no substitution there. Uh, if any, there's the kind of complement, complementary relationship between the two countries. Uh, China would export some of the raw materials, intermediate goods, and Vietnam take it, assemble it, and then export to European or American market. Uh, I wouldn't say that ASEAN countries, uh, including Vietnam, can pose really a threat to China. Um, their production capacity combined cannot even match China's manufacturing capacity in the world. Well, then also the retail sales went down 1.5% in the first five months. Well, the overall unemployment rate in cities was 5.9% in May. So what's your take on China's employment market this year? And how serious is the problem? And the job market overall has been quite uh, weak this year for good reason, um, because companies are trying to cut costs uh, to cope with the economic downturn. And the first thing they would resort to is always by laying off some workers or at least temporarily uh, having them, uh, letting them go. And we've seen this trend accelerating after the lockdown in Shanghai. Um, but for a lot of uh, the SMEs and self-employed businesses, if the economy bounced back in the second half of the year, um, those uh, smaller businesses would also rebound very quickly. Um, that's why we call them like the small ship can shift their directions very quickly. Uh, in the past 20 years, they've shown their resilience over and over again. Like they die fast, but they recover fast as well. Mm. Um, for the retail market in general, uh, there was the fundamental weakness because the income growth have slowed. And that cannot be really reverted very quickly unless we figure out a way to increase people's income. I think it's more of a midterm and long-term effort rather than a short-term boost. Mm. So, Aina, so China remains a top destination for foreign direct investment despite all these uh, uncertainties we see in the global economy and in geopolitics. And in the first five months, we've seen the FDI increase by over 17%. So... Why is that? And for investors, where is the new industry or opportunities in China? Well, you know, as we discussed before, there are three uh, major economic blocks, uh, Asia, Europe and America. Unfortunately for Europe and America, they do not have they have markets, but they do not have complete uh, production. Uh, the only place that has a complete production and market is Asia, and that's centered around China. 
So, uh, you know, people are making their bets financially on where there's a market and where there's production, where there's long term stability. Uh, China has demonstrated, uh, especially over these last few years, that it is able to control external threats uh, like the pandemic and still have ex- excellent growth compared to the rest of the world. And, you know, that's very attractive. And, you know, with the markets there and with declining markets in Europe and America, it's just really hard for anybody to say, yeah, I'm going to double down in, in the U.S. or in Europe. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. So you know, obviously, they're going to the markets that are available. Mm-hmm. And then so for investors, where do you think are the new industry or opportunities in China? Um, the global investors have spent a lot of money in building up their capacity in the food industry in China, a consumer market in general, uh, and of course, the high tech industries uh, centering around uh, the high end electronics, the chip making capacity um, and new energy and new materials are very hot areas in recent years. Um, they've attracted more domestic investment rather than foreign investment. Um, because it just seems that uh, the domestic investments uh, are more concentrated in um, the energy-intensive provinces, and they have better uh, knowledge and understanding on where the best mines and capacity should be. Um, The pharmaceutical and biotech industries are attracting a lot more foreign attentions, and they need a lot of the talents and sometimes the tech transfer from foreign firms or uh, some kind of collaboration uh, between scientists in different countries. So those areas have been increasing very fast. In fact, their employment have been expanding uh, even with the current lockdown. And I can see great potential in the coming uh, years that they will attract even more foreign investment. Mm. And Aina, so when we talk about the economy, we have to mention the expectations for businesses. And that's where the confidence to invest and to expand comes from. And we have to have strong expectations. And then we couple it with uh, now the implementation of the uh, 33 comprehensive measures released by the state council to support the economy. So do you expect May's positive momentum to continue? And what do you expect for China's economic activity in the coming months? (laughs) That's a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so let's take it this way. Let's put the the picture into context. What you had was a a downturn. Uh, Concerns uh, by the central government said, look, we got to, uh, and the downturn was due to COVID, external forces. They said, we we have to uh, push things along. Uh, they put out the uh, 33-point plan. They called 100,000 people together. They said, everyone comes up with a plan. We need to concentrate, especially on small, medium-sized enterprises, because they you know, produce you know, 90% of new jobs, and et cetera. And they're the greatest uh, contributor to the country's GDP. The question is how you do that, and that's part of the puzzle. And that's why I keep going back to why Lee has emphasized exports out there. And he was right, you know, with this number of, you know, blockbuster number of 16.8% increase in exports, uh, doubling uh, even the most uh, optimistic uh, estimations out there. It's clear that China has a path forward. Now, the exports themselves will create more jobs, and those jobs will create incomes. Those incomes allow there to be more expenditure. You have to start somewhere. It's always this chicken and egg or cart and horse, depending on how you want to look at it, issue. How do you get things moving? 
And I think China has a very clear idea of what it's doing. It's also, uh, to prime the pump, it has engaged in all of these uh, infrastructure investments. Uh, I, I differ slightly in terms of uh, Wang Gangdan's uh, analysis in the sense that what I see is they're concentrating on green environmental development and also efficiency. So uh, right now you're seeing these power projects. A lot of that is going into transmission so that you can uh, take the transmission from the, where the power is being created in the West and ship it to the energy-intensive industries in the East as efficiently as possible in order to do that, indeed, good transmission systems. So that is going to be an area. Also, environmentally, this is the time. We all know that the environment is important. Everyone puts it off. I think the Chinese government has been very uh, strategic about this. They say, listen, we have to make this investment anyways for the future of our own country and the world. This is the time. Might as well do that. So that's why you, you see this emphasis on water, green buildings, uh, alternative energy, and things like this. So I, I think this is going to be a very different from the time uh, after the um, you know the, uh, the financial meltdown when it was kind of a shotgun blast across you know all sectors. Uh, trying to stimulate them in there. This this time, I think they've taken uh, a much more nuanced approach and something that will pay off dividends far into the future. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at U.S. Federal Reserve announces biggest interest rate hike since 1994. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The U.S. Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate by 75 basis points, marking the biggest rate hike since 1994. The hike is to battle against a surging inflation. The consumer price index rose by 8.6% in May, the biggest jump in 40 years. So, Aina, so three quarters of a percent is a huge interest rate hike for the Federal Reserve, right? So, what do you think about the Federal Reserve decision? Well, I, I think it's uh, bizarre, to say the least. I mean, uh, only a few months ago, uh, you know, the Fed Chair Powell was openly, to, you know, scoffing at the idea that there'd ever be a 0.75% increase. Um, and, and it really is, they, they're hitting the panic button because of inflation. But, you know, I still go back to this issue. I don't care how much you raise the flood, uh, Fed funds rate. I mean, it's not going to address the underlying uh, root cause of inflation, which is the energy and food shortages. I mean, when you say to the world, look, you need uh, 100 million tons of everything to, you know, uh, to do your to, to feed yourself and things, but we only have 80 million. That means there's a, a, a very critical, inelastic all right, demand and a limited supply. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you're going to continue to have inflation in those two sectors, both power and, and uh, food. And that 
is really what's driving this. So, uh, you know, yes, if the Fed were trying to engineer, you know, the amount of uh, investment that was going into different sectors or they thought things were overheated in, uh, in terms of too much investment and things, that would make sense to do this. But it doesn't make sense now. All it's going to do is add more to inflation, which is going to have political consequences, especially as uh, going into these midterms. And that is going to be very difficult. Now, why are they doing this? Uh, they're hitting the panic button because they anticipate a, a, uh, a recession, possibly a depression. Uh, and if that happens, they want to have ammunition to reinflate the economy. All right. Mm -hmm. So they need to build up the Fed funds rate so later on they can you know, do some sort of easing to get things with the prime, the pump and get things going. But interestingly, here's the U.S. doing drastic moves to you know, curtail their economy and funds rate, whereas China is actually easing up. This tells you a lot about the uh, situation in the world today. Mm -hmm. So then you are an economist. So from your perspective, what do you think about the Federal Reserve decision? Uh, I think it is something they have to do um, because the Fed had been putting off raising the rates for the longest time. And they kept thinking that this inflation is only transitory. It turns out it's not as transitory as they thought it would be. Um, the supply side of constraint isn't going away anytime soon. And they want to contain inflation because there is a high risk if they cannot do that. And the way they do it, though, is by slowing down demand. And when you raise the rates by this much, it will firstly be reflected in actually the property market. The consumer spending will be affected, too, but not nearly as severe as what we are going to see in the housing market. And if that happens, uh, even for the U.S., the property market is a pillar industry. It will slow down drastically. Um, uh, and that will hinder the future construction in the sector. And there's already a shortage in the housing supply for the whole market. And basically, I think there is this trade-off between the short-term uh, limited uh, slowdown in inflation growth and also the mid-term rising in asset prices, especially in the housing prices. Mm, and then, so how do you explain the market reactions or response to it? The European markets and U.S. stock markets all fell on Thursday, right? Well, the stock market's reaction is usually an overreaction when something like this magnitude happened. And we've seen the follow-up response from several central banks in Europe, including the Swiss Central Bank. They've never raised their interest rate, almost ever. And now they had to follow uh, the Fed's move because there is a high chance that uh, uh, the capital may flow back to the U.S. if they don't do it quickly enough to follow the U.S. activity. And I'm more worried about more central banks in the world to uh, just step up and follow uh, what the Federal Reserve is doing. That will increase the, bo the borrowing costs significantly and the debt repayment costs significantly. It won't help most of the countries in the world to recover and it can potentially trigger a debt crisis. Mm. And so, Aina, some analysts say the Federal Reserve is going to hike the interest rate until the policymakers break inflation. But the risk is that they also break the economy. So what do you think about that? 
Well, I do think they're going to break the economy. The uh, moves that they're making are, you know, classic economic uh, moves. It would be fine if they were dealing with the financial crisis, but it doesn't work when you're dealing with uh, areas that have, you know, to do with essential uh, issues, food and energy. I can't live without food. I cannot operate an economy without energy. And right now, those are the uh, factors that are driving inflation the hardest. They're not going to go away. They're going to continue to be increases in there because there's more demand than there is supply, and these are essentials. Mm. So uh, going forward, uh, they have, they're in a bad situation. I understand it. I understand what they're trying to do but it's not going to have the effect that they think it's going to. Mm. And so, Dan, what do you think? Could the U.S. Federal Reserve's aggressive move lead the U.S. into recession? It will certainly lead the U.S. into recession because it looks like the, the Federal Reserve is determined to hike the rates again and again until the inflation drops to a certain level that is acceptable. Now they talk about 2%. And from what we see now, it's going to take a very long time before the inflation hit the 2% target. And that means we probably will see the rate hike again in July and another time in September. Uh, Once that happened, the market will have a quite pessimistic view on where they should park their money. Uh, Maybe the shift in investment will cause a shortage in liquidity uh, in the U.S. market. And then um, the depressed property market will add even more, add even more pressure. Uh, I don't think the recession uh, picture is as rosy as the Federal Reserve has painted because they kept, being, they kept talking about how strong the labor market is. And by then, the labor market will also have a problem as well. Mm-hmm. And then actually people like you are already talking about the month of July for the Federal Reserve. But what data is the Federal Reserve looking at? Is it only the inflation or are there other data that the Federal Reserve is looking at before they make a final decision for July? And the Federal Reserve has this dual target. One is unemployment rate and the other is inflation rate. But the inflation expectation is a tricky thing. Uh, Now, the short-term inflation expectation in the U.S. have been declining. And in July, it may raise, it may rise again. And that might mean that, uh, that might mean that the Federal Reserve would have to keep up uh, their intensity of the rate hike. Um, Maybe it's another 50%, maybe it's another 75 uh, points. And that means uh, the pressure in the capital market will be quite significant. So then for the U.S., the November midterm elections is there. So how big a factor will the inflation situation be? Uh, The inflation is the number one challenge for the U.S. government. Although the government can control it uh, directly, it can pose pressure on the Federal Reserve to contain it as uh, fast as possible. Um, Because for the U.S. uh, midterm election, the biggest problem is it's a domestic economy. The labor market is good enough. It probably would last until November. But inflation, if it lasts this high uh, until the end of this year, then the government will be blamed for its inaction. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.